Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, giving the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At betteredge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank with no VIG or sportsbook fees. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Create an account and use code PGF for $10 on your first order. Play the game without getting played at betteredge.com. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. You know what it's about. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. Got a great show today, guys. What an incredible weekend of football we just had. Week two in college football was awesome. I've got some thoughts on what we saw last Saturday, some big upsets, hot seats, a head coach getting fired. Week one in the NFL was also incredible. Man, there were so many games that I want to talk about. Plus, I'll give my thoughts on LA, KC, Thursday night football game, the game of the week in the NFL, and we're going to end with the pick six betting picks. So let's crack a cold one and kick this off. Man, like I said, guys, there was so much good football this weekend. It was truly amazing. Saturday was incredible. So many good games. I'm going to start in college football. We've got plenty of NFL to get to as well. But on Saturday, we saw some crazy games. Number one, Alabama nearly goes down to unranked Texas. This game was awesome. It was back and forth, maybe the best game. It was definitely one of the biggest games and probably one of the best games of Saturday. This game came down to the wire. Texas hits a field goal with a minute 29 left on the clock to take the lead. All they've got to do is get a stop. They've just got to get a stop and get Alabama off the field, and they would have pulled off probably the biggest upset in school history. It would have been a massive win for this Texas program that is desperately trying to get back to an elite status, but they couldn't get that stop. They couldn't stop Bryce Young late in this game. I was watching this game live. I had a buddy that I was on the phone with, actually. We were talking throughout the ending of this game, and I remember watching this game, and they showed a shot of Bryce Young on the sideline right after Texas took the lead with that field goal. And they show him on the sideline. He's about to come into the game. And I'm talking to a buddy of mine, and I said, man, Bryce Young looks excited. He looks really confident. And I remember telling him, thinking, look at the look on his face. He sees this as an opportunity. He didn't blink, man. He looked like he couldn't wait to get on the field and lead Alabama to the win. And that's exactly what he did, man. He made big plays in that last minute, 29. I mean, this guy embraced the moment big time. There was one really key play late in that game. Texas sends a blitz. I believe it was the cornerback. It was a cornerback blitz, if I remember right. Coming off the edge, he's got Bryce Young dead to rights. He gets his arms on him. Bryce Young ducks out of the sack and scrambles for a big gain and basically set up the game winner. That was the ball game right there. Because if Texas gets that sack, 
it essentially knocks Alabama out of field goal range. And at that point, with time running down, it would have been really tough for Alabama to pull off the win. But Bryce Young makes an incredible escape and makes an incredible play, sets up the game winner, and Alabama just barely hangs on and remains unbeaten. But this team does not look like the team that we thought. Now, hats off to Texas. This was a huge game for them. Their defense played great. They really hung in there and battled with one of the best teams in the country. But right now, I think Georgia just looks like they're on a different level. I'm not sure. Alabama still is probably a top three, top four team in the in the country. I don't think, you know, I don't want to overreact to this game, but they certainly don't look right now like the Alabama that we've seen in the last couple of years. But I'm going to stick with the state of Texas for a second. I'm going to shift to Texas A&M. Guys, this program has got to be the most overrated program in college football right now. I'm not even sure it's debatable. They got upset by Appalachian State, which, look, I know they're a good program for that level. But this is Texas A&M. This was a team that came into the season ranked in the top 10. This is a team that had college football playoff hopes. This is a team that has four- and five-star recruits all over the field and produces NFL talent year in and year out. This is a team that had the number one recruiting class last year. There is no excuse for you losing to App State. I'm sorry. You cannot lose that game. It's completely unacceptable. If you're going to claim to be a big-time program, a national title contender, you cannot lose games like this. And quite frankly, it just keeps happening with this program. They keep underachieving with Jimbo Fisher. And when you have that kind of talent, superior talent to the teams you're playing almost week in and week out. Now, granted, I know some of these teams they play in the SEC have equal talent, but App State is not one of those teams. There is no excuse to losing to them, and that really falls on coaching. There's no other way to look at it here because the players are clearly better, and when you get outplayed by players that are inferior, that comes down to coaching. I think Jimbo Fisher's seat has got to start heating up. I don't understand why people are not mentioning him as being on the hot seat. I really haven't heard much buzz about it, and I don't understand it because this program just continues to underachieve. But speaking of hot seats, one seat got so hot it lit on fire, and that is Scott Frost. He is out at Nebraska. Kind of saw this coming. We've been talking about this. He was one of the hot seat coaches that I mentioned. The loss to Northwestern had his seat scorching, but then they lose to Georgia Southern. Look, when Nebraska hired Scott Frost, it felt like a dream hire but it quickly turned into a nightmare. This guy has just severely underachieved from what they hoped they were getting when they hired him. And I'm not going to lie, it felt like a home run hire. This guy had done some really good things as an offensive coordinator in Oregon. That got him the job at UCF, where they went undefeated, had a really great season with Frost, and people were kind of looking at him thinking, okay, this is the perfect fit. A former Nebraska guy comes back to his alma mater to kind of save the program. And man, it just has not worked out. The loss to Georgia Southern is just completely unacceptable. Nebraska had seen enough. They fired him after that loss. He finished with a 16-31 and record. And my big question is here, we already knew that his seat was scorching hot. And I talked about it on earlier episodes. I said, any other program would have fired this guy already. Why did Nebraska bring him back this year? That move really backfired in their face because now it's a lost season. Now you basically have a Nebraska team that loses an entire season just because they brought this guy back for another year and he starts the year 0-2 with two bad losses and now you're completely throwing this season away. I 
I just didn't understand bringing them back in the first place. They should have made the move last year and you'd already be starting your rebuild. Now you're just in a total free fall for Nebraska. It kind of makes me wonder here if Nebraska is actually the problem. This is a program that we know has a rich history, but that history was a long time ago. This program really hasn't been relevant in 20 years, 20 plus years since they've really been a high level program. And the last time they were even decent was when Bo Pelini was there. They were at least a good program back then, and they kicked him to the curb. Right now, Nebraska fans would kill to be that good again. But speaking of historic programs, Notre Dame loses to Marshall. Wow, was this a shocking upset here. Marcus Freeman, the new head coach at Notre Dame, who took over when Brian Kelly went to LSU, his seat's already getting hot. I mean, this is not acceptable for a team that also had college football playoff aspirations. Their season's over. That's it. Losing to Ohio State is one thing. Losing to Marshall is a whole nether thing. This is a bad, bad loss for this program and a really ugly start for the Fighting Irish. Most surprising team in college football right now might be Washington State. 2-0 to start the year, and they upset number 19 Wisconsin. That was a big-time win. I know their fans have got to be excited about what they've got going up there. Speaking of the Pac-12, USC... This team, I've been saying, guys, this team might just be for real. Now, I know it's early. They beat up on Rice in week one. Stanford is not some powerhouse program. They're not quite the Stanford that they were a couple years ago. But they crushed this team. Don't let the score fool you here. USC was up 41-14 to in the third quarter. Stanford got a couple junk touchdowns late to make the score look more respectable. But USC absolutely annihilated these guys. And they've got a pretty big matchup coming up. We'll jump into that in a little bit. BYU gets a big-time win over Baylor. That was a big top 25 matchup. Double overtime win. That's going to set up a really good matchup with Oregon this upcoming Saturday. Should be a fun one. Kentucky got a big win over Florida. I'm really impressed with Mark Stoops. I mean, this is a guy that comes to Kentucky, a basketball school, really doesn't have any history at all when it comes to football and he's really built this program up to be a very competitive team in the SEC where we know that is not easy to do especially at a school like Kentucky really really impressed with what he's done there and the program he's built there they're putting out a lot of talent into the NFL and he is developing guys I I just think that this guy is doing an amazing job at Kentucky and that's a big time win over a Florida team that I think is pretty good All right, let's jump to the National Football League Week 1. Man, how fun was that, guys? What a way to kick off the season. I think I probably say this every single year, but that had to be one of the best Week 1s ever. I mean, seriously, the upsets, the close wins. We had a tie. We had overtime games. It was fantastic. Man, I enjoyed every minute of it. I'm sure you guys did as well. I want to jump back to that Monday Night Football game, the most recent game we saw just a couple nights ago. Seahawks pull off a shocking upset for you guys who follow on Twitter. If you're not following on Twitter, by the way, at PGF podcast, give us a follow. Always got great stuff on there. I love to engage with you guys on there as well. But if you guys, for you guys who do follow on Twitter, I put out the poll question. Who are you betting tonight for the Monday night football game? Broncos minus six and a half Seahawks plus six and a half had A lot of votes on this one, and 72% of you guys were laying the points with the Broncos. 
I'm with you. I thought the Broncos would roll in this one. This was a shocking upset. Now, granted, the Broncos had some big-time missed opportunities. Those two fumbles near the goal line were huge. I mean, those were costly mistakes. If they punch both of those in, this score is probably severely different. But hats off to the Seahawks, man. They played tough. They played fired up, inspired football. I mean, let's face it. This was their Super Bowl. They were so fired up for this game. The fans were fired up. The place was electric. They were booing Russell Wilson. I think everybody in Seattle pretty much hates this guy now because they all know he forced his way out of town. They can't stand him anymore. But let's jump to the topic that everyone's talking about right now. Where was the urgency from Russell Wilson late in that game? And what was Nathaniel Hackett, the Denver head coach, doing there? Letting the clock run down on fourth down. It's fourth and five, I believe, towards the end of the game. They're trying to set up a last-minute score to try to win this game. The strategy was mind-blowing. I'm watching the Manning cast. I don't know if you guys watch that on ESPN2. I absolutely love the Eli and Peyton Manning cast that they do on there. It's so much fun. But anyway, watching that Manning cast, Peyton and Eli are on there with Shannon Sharp. And in real time, they're watching the clock go down, and they're pretty much all screaming at the TV going, what are they doing here? What's going on? Why aren't they calling a timeout? And I think everybody at home was doing the same thing. We're just watching the clock run down basically to zero just for them to call timeout. They burn a ton of time off the clock just to set up a 64-yard field goal. I mean, it didn't make any sense. Last I checked, there was only two times in NFL history that anybody has hit a field goal over 64 yards. So your strategy is to burn up a bunch of clock, leave 20 seconds on the clock, and try to attempt a 64-yarder for the win. I didn't understand it at all. You're paying Russell Wilson all this money to be the guy, to be the franchise guy. You still had time, and you had that timeout. You're really not going to let Russell Wilson try to pick up a fourth and five there, extend the game, and give you a much higher percentage chance at, at a shorter field goal. I, I didn't understand it at all. I don't think any of us did. Nathaniel Hackett is really taking a lot of heat this week from this. He came out to the media and he admits that he screwed up. They should have gone for it. Yeah, you think? I mean, come on. Yeah, of course you should have gone for it. I'm not really sure what the situation there. I mean, he's a rookie head coach. I get it, but that's pretty terrible. But I also put some of this on Russell Wilson because I know it's really the coach's decision whether or not to call time out there, but being a veteran quarterback, a guy who's played a lot of football, played in a lot of big games, I think at some point he's got to see what's going on and maybe see the indecision by his head coach and just call the timeout anyway. So I'm putting some of that on Russ because it's like he's coming out and saying, okay, this is a partnership and, you know, me and the coach are partners. And I don't know, that whole situation is weird anyway. But why aren't you calling the timeout there? I, I didn't understand it. I mean, I understand if maybe you're a young quarterback, a rookie quarterback, a, a backup quarterback, a second year guy. Okay, maybe you don't call the, the timeout. But a guy like him, a veteran, one of the top quarterbacks in this league, I, I didn't understand it. One of those guys needs to step up and call that timeout. But, of course, the coach is taking the most heat, and he should because it was terrible. want to jump to the Lions-Eagles game. Just touch on this briefly. I watched part of this game. I had, I had red zone going. I had a bunch of TVs going. I was kind of watching everything and, and checking in on all the games as much as I could. This was a game. Eagles got up big. Of course, the Lions being the scrappy, feisty team, the never-give-up team with Dan Campbell, they came fighting back and made it competitive. One of my main takeaways from this was, look, you guys know where I stand on Jalen Hurts. I don't believe in this guy at all. He basically had the same number of runs as he did throws. To me, that's not sustainable. That's not a franchise quarterback. 
The guy is clearly a better runner than he is a passer. They know it. The Eagles know it. And it really stood out to me just how much faith they have in his arm. There was a key play in that game. It was third and goal. I want to say near the five yard line or so. And basically any other team with a top 15 or so quarterback, they're throwing the ball there. You're not trying to run that in. And the Eagles ran a quarterback designed run play. To me, it just screamed lack of confidence in Jalen Hurts throwing the ball. And it really just says everything you need to know about this guy. Eagles get the win, but Vegas clearly lost some faith in the Eagles after this win. They took a big drop after week one as far as their Super Bowl odds. And I think they see what I see. This team is limited. I mean, yeah, they're talented, but I said it all offseason. This team was getting way overhyped. And they get the win, but not an impressive win in my opinion. Still not sold on this team at all. On the Lions side, I saw an article by SI.com, the Detroit sports podcast who covers the Detroit Lions. They're a big-time outlet that covers that team closely. They gave Aiden Hutchinson, the number two overall pick, a failing grade for week one. They said in a tweet, "It's he's not paid to almost make a play. He is paid to make the play. And look, I wasn't nearly as high on this guy as a lot of people when he came out of the draft. I think I had him graded as, if I remember right, the fourth or fifth best player in this class. I had a couple other defensive players graded higher than him. And I said, look, I think he's going to be a good player. I just didn't know if he's going to be a great player. Now, it's one game, okay? I'm not trying to overreact here. I'm really not. But it's not a great start. He certainly didn't look great, great in this game. And for them to give him a failing grade, I thought was a bit shocking. I want to jump to the New York Giants. Man, they got a big-time win versus the Titans. Now, I'm not sure this Giants team is going to be great by any means, but this game was crazy. One of the best games of Week 1 for sure. Brian Dayball comes over from the Bills, the former offensive coordinator, now the head coach for the Giants. Offense didn't look great, but, man, it was awesome to see Saquon Barkley back and healthy, and what a difference it made. This guy was a beast, and to give Daniel Jones a running game was absolutely huge in this game. I mean, he looked young. He looked fresh. It was really fun to watch him. The Titans are a team that I've been saying I think was going to take a step back this year. This is a team that I really just thought the loss of A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry getting a year older, I just didn't see this team sustaining what they have done in the last two years. They were the number one seed in the AFC last year. I don't think there's any chance to get anywhere near that this year. But for you guys that didn't catch the game, came down to the wire. The Giants make a comeback in the second half. Daniel Jones throws a terrible pick in the fourth quarter in the red zone. I mean, it is terrible. And I've been defending this guy for a while because I've said he hasn't really gotten a fair shake. He's had bad coaching. He's had a bad O-line. Saquon Barkley struggled to stay healthy. His wide receivers have struggled to stay healthy. He's had a lot of things go against him, and he's still flashed a lot of talent his first couple years in the league, but he's been turnover prone, and that's really been the big knock on this guy, and he had another huge mistake in this game. Brian Dayball came over on the sideline and just ripped into Daniel Jones after that, and I don't blame him. I mean, it was a rookie mistake. It was a terrible throw, and it nearly cost the Giants the game. But like I said, they come back, they get the win, they score a touchdown late, and instead of kicking the PAT to tie it, they go for two. Really gutsy play call. I loved it. I loved the aggressive play call. They get the two, of course, and they win the game. Saquon Barkley runs it in. 
after that play, what really stood out to me was the reaction from Sterling Shepard and Saquon Barkley. I mean, those guys were fired up. They came over to Brian Dayball. They were yelling and just super excited, and it was, it was awesome. I mean, it was really, really cool. Their response told you everything you needed to know because those guys are buying in to Brian Dayball right now, and I think that's a great sign for the Giants moving forward. Pint Glass Football Podcast is presented by Better Edge, bringing the edge back to the betters with no fee sports betting. At BetterEdge.com, you, not the books, set the price of betting lines so you can make bank. Better Edge is available in 45 states for real money sports betting. Play the game without getting played at BetterEdge.com. Steelers, Bengals. This was another crazy game. Goes into overtime, came down to the wire, came down to field goals, missed field goals. Cincinnati is another team that I've been telling you guys that I think was going to come back down to earth a little bit this year. And a week one loss to Pittsburgh is not a good start for them. And really not a good start for Joe Burrow. Man, he got roughed up. That O-line is still a major concern for the Cincinnati Bengals. And it's something they're going to have to figure out in a hurry because that defensive front by the Pittsburgh Steelers was all over Joe Burrow. And the secondary was making plays, man. They picked him off multiple times. A bunch of turnovers in this game. A bunch of sacks. He was running around for his life, getting hit left and right. TJ Watt, the injury, that sucks. It looks like he's going to be out a little while. It's not as bad as they initially thought, so he might be back in, I think, six to eight weeks, something like that. But it's a huge injury because this is a guy, defensive player of the year last year, tied the sack record, and he was a game wrecker in this game. I mean, he was absolutely incredible until he got hurt. Six tackles. Three tackles for a loss, a sack, and an interception in his first game. I mean, the guy was just a one-man wrecking crew out there. The Pittsburgh offense, though, is bad. I mean, this is really, really bad. That defense played virtually flawless, and they barely eked out a win and, quite frankly, probably should have lost this game. I mean, the offense is just terrible. They are going nowhere with Mitch Trubisky. When you're defense gives you that many turnovers and that many sacks, you should be blowing teams out. You should not be eking by in overtime. It's a bad sign for Pittsburgh going forward. But man, there was a catch in this game. If you guys caught it, Deontay Johnson had a catch on the sidelines, one-handed, high points the football and snags it two feet in. I mean, it was on the sidelines. It was unreal. It might have been the catch of the week. It was awesome. But unfortunately for Pittsburgh, you just can't expect your defense to carry you like that week in and week out and squeak by with wins. I think it's going to be a long season for Pittsburgh because the offense is just so atrocious with Mitch Trubisky under center. I expect Kenny Pickett to get a start here probably sooner than later. They do have playmakers at wide receiver. They've got a solid running back and a solid tight end. The O-line is still a little shaky. And you guys know how I feel about Kenny Pickett. I'm not high on this guy at all, so I'm not sure it gets any better with him in there. But I think you've got to start the rookie and see what you've got because we know Trubisky is not the future. Patriots, Dolphins, man, the Patriots are going to be terrible on offense. I mean, this was this was hard to watch. This was brutal. I mean, this was absolutely brutal from the offense. The Patriots defense only allowed three points in the second half, and they still couldn't do anything to get back in this game. We've talked about it. The national media has talked about it. Tons of people have written about it, podcasted about it, you name it. Everyone's mentioned the offensive coordinator situation in New England, and it is off to a rough, rough start. The loss of Josh McDaniels really looks big right now because that offense 
was absolutely terrible. And they don't have playmakers either. I mean, that's part of it here. It's not just the play calling. There's a lack of playmakers on this team, and I think it's just really going to be bad on that side of the ball. Their defense might be able to keep them in some games. They'll probably win a few games just based on Bill Belichick and his coaching. But I'm starting to think more and more this might only be a five- or six-win team for New England. I mean, this team, I think, is really going to fall apart this year. Speaking of fall apart, the Dallas Cowboys season is officially over. It's over. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, Cowboys fans. I'm sure there's some listening right now. The Dak Prescott injury is just too big to overcome. I mean, he's out 68 weeks with this injury. I wasn't super high on the Cowboys coming into the year, but I still thought that they were a team that could win the NFC East. But with this injury, I mean, it's over. They lost too many key players this offseason. I'm not really sure they were that good of a team to begin with, but now they really don't have any chance of staying competitive. By the time he comes back, they might only have one or two wins at, at the most. I mean, this this team's really in trouble. It's unfortunate for them. Packers-Vikings, that was a game that people thought, myself included, would be competitive. It was a close line. It was two teams, division rivals. A lot of people thought this was going to be one of the best games, and it definitely was not because Minnesota really took it to the Packers. The Packers just have a lack of toughness. Ever since Matt LaFleur came over, this team just seems to struggle when they get punched in the mouth. When they get in a matchup with a physical team, especially up front, they just don't have that edge or toughness that you want in a contender. And it's really kind of alarming. Now, it's week one, not going to overreact. I think the Packers are going to be just fine. I still have faith that they'll win this division. But it was pretty ugly. They were lifeless on offense. I mean, they could not get it going. And a big reason why was the O-line really got beat up. I mean, up front, Minnesota just harassed Rodgers all day. He was constantly under pressure. Now, I think the O-line should improve. They've got some guys that are going to be coming back from injury. When they get healthier, I think we're going to see some improvement up front. And I think these young receivers are going to start to come along. So, it's not all gloom and doom for the Packers. Now, remember, week one last year, they got blown out. In week one, I believe it was against the Saints. Everyone was trying to claim that, oh man, the Packers are overrated. They're not any good, blah, blah, blah. It's overreaction Monday, right? We all do that after week one. Everybody that won is great. Everybody that lost is terrible. I mean, yeah, we're not going to overreact here. I think the Packers are going to be fine, but this is exactly what happened last year. They started out slow and then they got it. They rattled off a bunch of wins and ended up in the playoffs. Speaking of the NFC North, Justin Fields and the Bears, man, they get a big-time upset win versus the 49ers. I was dead wrong about this game. I laid the points with the Niners. I thought they were going to cruise in this game. I thought it was a huge mismatch. I thought they were just going to beat them up, but it was the exact opposite. I mean, this was an ugly game. It was a monsoon. I'm sure the weather played a factor, but you know, you can't. You can only make so many excuses for the weather. Both teams had to play in it. But it really did seem to affect the 49ers. They just could not get into rhythm. The 49ers O-line was really bad in this game. That was the probably the most surprising thing is that that front for the Bears just got after him and put a lot of pressure on him. But Trey Lance, not a great start. Not a great start to his first year starting for the 49ers. I mean, he just didn't look very good. He missed a lot of open throws. He had some opportunities. If he hits a couple of those open throws, 49ers probably cruised to a victory in this one, but they didn't make the plays that they needed to, and the Bears made just enough plays to get this win. Justin Fields started out a little slow as well, but, man, he made some big-time plays, especially in the second half. Bears made some nice halftime adjustments. I got to give hats off to the Bears and Matt Eberflus. This was a big-time win. I mean, 
I still don't think the Bears are going to be great, and I think the 49ers are going to bounce back. Once again, don't want to overreact to just week one, but nice start for them and a big-time upset win. Commanders, Jaguars, didn't watch a ton of this game, to be honest, but from what I caught and what I've been reading about it, pretty disappointing start for Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this is a guy that, quite frankly, just still doesn't look like a number one pick. He doesn't look like the guy that we expected. Now, he made some nice throws, but he too missed out on some opportunities. He had some throws in this game that if he hits on them, they probably end up winning this game. It ended up being a fairly competitive game, but Commanders get the win. Still sounds weird saying Commanders. It's it's weird. It's, it doesn't roll off the tongue at all. The Commanders, I don't know. Anyway, Washington gets the win. Carson Wentz, Boy, he showed the full spectrum of what Carson Wentz really is in a nutshell. I mean, he had some big-time throws. He had some big-time plays. And then he had some just terrible head-scratching interceptions. I mean, that's that's who he is, guys. That's exactly who he is. I'm not sure it's ever going to change. He's just a roller coaster quarterback. And it's a roller coaster that his last two teams were, quite frankly, quick to get off that ride because – with his ups and downs, you're kind of destined to have an up and down season. I think Washington is going to be in for it because he's going to have some moments where he looks great and they're going to win some games. And he's going to have some moments where he looks really terrible and they're going to lose some games. It's pretty much what we expected. All right, PGF Nation, for you guys who listen to the show the day it drops, Thursdays, of course. I know a lot of you guys like to listen on your way to work, things like that, Thursday morning. So for you guys checking out the episode, I know most of you are going to be checking out the Thursday night football game, Chargers-Chiefs. Man, this is a big one. This has got to be the game of the week in the NFL. Huge, huge game in the AFC West. Patrick Mahomes, man, this guy was just incredible in week one. I mean, losing Tyreek Hill, that was the big storyline. How was this offense going to look? Were they going to be as dynamic? Not an issue. I mean, not an issue at all. The wide receiver group is deep. They might not have the top-end talent now that they don't have Tyreek Hill, but Andy Reid and Mahomes is still the most dangerous combination on offense in the entire NFL. And Mahomes is just playing with so much confidence right now. He looked so accurate. I mean, he just looks like a point guard out there distributing the football. I think 10 different players had a catch in this game. I mean, incredible. They absolutely blew the doors off the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals could be garbage. Don't get me wrong. This is another team that I am not high on. I said that last year was a mirage. And this is going to be a much, much tougher test versus the L.A. Chargers. Herbert was awesome in week one. I mean, this guy completely outplayed Derek Carr. LA's defense looks improved. Khalil Mack made an impact. Bosa, those guys. I mean, this team brought in some big-time free agents. They had another nice draft class. This Chargers team is loaded. I mean, this is a really good roster. It might be the best roster in football, but Kansas City still has Reed and Mahomes. And let's face it, that's the two most important things in the NFL, coach and quarterback. I'm not saying the other stuff doesn't matter. We know it does, but they've got the edge where it matters the most. And so when I look at this game, I think it could be a shootout. Right now, the over-under in Vegas is 54.5. I'm looking at betteredge.com right now. That's what they've got it at, 54.5 points, over-under. Chiefs, 
three and a half point favorites on Better Edge as well. Man, this is a game. It's not going to make it into my pick six because I don't feel great about it, but I'm leaning Kansas City here. They're at home. That environment is going to be electric. I'm going to lay the three and a half. I wish it was three. The hook could come back to bite me here, but I'm also going to lean towards the over as well because I think it's going to be a shootout. This could be a really fun watch. Two great young quarterbacks lighten it up. I expect a great game. I can't wait for this one. Man, last week was so much fun. Had Courtney Fallon on the podcast. That was so cool. Had her on the show. We did week one picks for every single game. Never done that before, but I thought it would be a total blast to do that with her, and it really was. But like we normally do during the regular season, for you guys who've been listening to the show for a while, it's the pick six. I'm going to give you guys three college football this week and three in the NFL. Let's start with the NFL. I'm taking the Jacksonville Jaguars plus four and a half versus the Colts. Colts are a team that I've been talking about. I said they're a dark horse in the AFC, but they didn't look very good, man. I was not impressed with the way they played against the Texans. The Jaguars talked about them a little bit against the Commanders. I don't think the Jags are great by any means, but this is a divisional matchup. And when I look at what the Colts did last week, they had to put up 17 points in the fourth quarter just to tie a bad Texans team. I mean, that was pretty shocking. They were getting beat for the majority of that game. The Jaguars, on the other hand, they just always seem to play the Colts tough. I mean, historically, this is a team that's given the Colts issues in the past. The Jaguars' defense actually looked pretty good last week. I liked what I saw from that side of the ball. They made some improvements. Four and a half, that's just good value. You know, once you get over that key number of three, you get into four or over four, I just think it's a lot of value for two teams that generally are going to play each other close. Like I said, divisional rivals. So give me the Jags. College football, I'm going to take Fresno State plus 13 versus USC. Now, I talked about USC, and I said, look, this team might be for real. But you've got an unranked team in Fresno State going up against number 7 USC, and it's only a 13-point spread. That tells me Vegas knows something. They know that Fresno State is a good football team. They've got a veteran quarterback, and let's face it, This is going to be Fresno State's Super Bowl. They're going to be fired up. Fresno State is a school with a bunch of guys who didn't get recruited to USC. These are two schools that, yes, USC recruits nationally. I get that. And not all of Fresno State's players are from California. But a lot of them are. And a lot of these guys got overlooked by USC. And they are going to be fired up to play these guys Plus 13, I think there's some value there. Like I said, especially with a veteran quarterback. So I like the Bulldogs getting the points here. Now, I don't do locks, and I don't claim locks of the week or anything like that. But if I had to take a lock, so to speak, this week, it's got to be the San Francisco 49ers minus eight versus the Seattle Seahawks. This is just the perfect storm here. San Francisco looks terrible. In week one, they get upset by the Bears. Everyone's talking trash, talking about how they're terrible, and Trey Lance is a bust. I mean, we've all heard it this week. Seattle, on the other hand, just played their Super Bowl. We talked about it coming off of a big emotional win versus the Broncos. Big, big upset win, but let's not kid ourselves here. Seattle and their roster is nowhere near the 49ers. I mean, this is a huge, huge mismatch on paper. The 49ers are going to be fired up. They know that they cannot start 0-2. This is basically a must-win game. 
They do not want to start in an 0-2 hole in Seattle. Is going to be coming off of a high. Like I said, big emotional game. I think San Francisco absolutely pummels the Seahawks. All right, my next pick, I've got Notre Dame, and I'm going to lay the 10.5 versus Cal. Once again, a team that got embarrassed, and everyone's writing them off. I just did earlier. They lost to Marshall. I said, look, their season's over, blah, blah, blah. I get all that. But usually those kind of losses for a team that was highly ranked and had big aspirations, that's going to fire them up. These guys are going to come out really fired up. This is a bounce back game. You look at what Cal did. Their offense really hasn't looked good. And we saw how good Notre Dame's defense was versus Ohio State. I think Cal is really going to struggle to move the ball in this one. I think Notre Dame covers the 10.5. I think if Notre Dame hadn't lost to Marshall, this spread would have been much bigger. I think this is probably a 14-17 type of spread. But because that lost, I think you're getting value only having to lay the 10.5 versus Cal. So give me the Irish in the bounce back. My last NFL game here is I've got the Ravens, and I'm going to lay the three and a half. Look, I don't like the hook, but I just think they're a far superior team to the Miami Dolphins. And Miami getting a win versus New England, I think, is the only reason that this line isn't bigger. But I think it was a little bit of an illusion because Miami looked really average versus that Pats team that, like I said, might just end up being terrible this year. I'm not sure it was really that impressive of a win. And the Ravens just destroyed the Jets. They looked razor sharp. I've told you guys how high I am on the Ravens this year. I think this team is deep. I think they're talented. And I think they are going to crush the Miami Dolphins. I have no problem laying the three and a half. Quite frankly, I'm really surprised that this isn't more than three and a half. I'm surprised it's not four and a half, five, something like that. I just think the Ravens are a way better team, better coach, better quarterback. They just check a lot of boxes. In the last pick for the pick six, I'm taking Western Kentucky plus six and a half versus Indiana. Now, this is one of those games that I'm betting because of the line movement. And that's something you guys got to watch for when you're making bets because this line opened at minus nine. Pro bettors jumped all over that minus nine, and they've driven this line down to six and a half. That's a lot of movement. Typically, the public doesn't move a line. Vegas really only moves lines when pros start coming in heavy on games. And when the pros are heavy on a game, I'm going to follow what the pros are doing here. They know something. Western Kentucky is a pretty good football team. I don't think Indiana is that great. They haven't looked very sharp. So I'm going to follow the money here and take Western Kentucky plus six and a half. But guys, that is going to do it for today's episode presented by Better Edge. I just want to take a second to tell you guys, PGF Nation, all you guys who tune in every week, download the show and tell your friends. I just appreciate every single one of you guys. I really do. The podcast just continues to grow. You guys continue to show up big, and I just really appreciate each and every one of you guys, PGF Nation. I see all the ratings and reviews that come in. If you guys haven't already, if you want to drop a rating or review on whatever podcast player you're listening to, it really means the world. We see every one of those. And make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on new episodes. Football is back, guys. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait to talk to you guys next week, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.